Earning an executive MBA at Georgetown isn't the path of least resistance, but it does come with the greatest reward. Benefit from our strong alumni network, renowned faculty, D.C. location, and global residencies. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash EMBA. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you loved the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift receipt. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Joyce Barry and Friends, the number one worldwide radio show. The show's outrageous and it's contagious. It will lift your spirits high, you'll feel that you can fly. Transform your attitude, fill it with gratitude. Cut loose and improvise, it's coaching time today. Joyce is a great coach with an extraordinary approach. Fast on the upbeat, top of the heap. A wild motivator, great stimulator. Unstoppable in a humoristic way. Life lessons with passion, joyfully today. You want Joyce as your coach if you want this to be your best year ever. Coach Joyce here. I want this to be your best year ever. I want this to be my best year ever. I want this to be the best year ever for all the friends of Joyce Barry. Welcome to Joyce Barry and Friends. We are broadcasting live across America and around the world. This is the hour to empower with stimulating talk, views you can use, memorable quotes, and powerful life lessons. We always have hot guests and cool topics. We even have cool guests and hot topics. You always want to tune us on, tune in, and tune up with us to hear the best of the best. You do not want to miss any of our shows. Each show goes into our archives. Log into Joyce Barry and Friends.com, Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E, and you will see each guest and each topic on our homepage. You can play and download any of our shows, always informative, inspiring, and motivational. You want to share these special shows with your friends, family, and contacts. You can follow us on Facebook and become a Joyce Barry subscriber and even a fan by going to our Joyce Barry and Friends fan page. Be sure to check like. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us by going to our Blog Talk Radio homepage and clicking follow right below my picture. You can also message me in any of these venues about our show, about our guests, about anything. My official website is JoyceBarry.com. Barry, B-A-R-R-I-E. The chat room is open. Log into the chat room, have fun, and chat away. I go back and forth into the chat room during the show to see what is going on in there. Motivation, inspiration, and an education. Positive, happy thoughts to improve your life, health, and finances. Take positive actions to create a gratifying lifestyle. Life lessons from me, your host, Joyce Barry, straight from the Coach's Corner 
and then you will hear from our wonderful guest today. Folks, every day should be treated like a special day. We wish you the finest of friends, the opulence of opportunities, the magic of miracles, and the happiest of days. May this year be your best year ever. about our show today, and I'm very excited about our guest today, Joel Freeman, a gentleman who is truly an expert on world history and has one of the largest collections of world history paraphernalia than most anyone else, probably anyone else. Uh, He is, um, I would say, a master at black history, and he is not black. I, I love that he loves Israel, and he's not Jewish. In fact, he just returned from taking a group of people on a tour in Israel. He was there when rockets were fired on Israel. Hear firsthand what it's like to hear those warning sirens go off and to fear that your life is in jeopardy. Every missile fired into Israel has a return address. Israel has the right to defend itself and is responding decisively to that address. Israel is using its weapons to protect its citizens. Hamas is using their citizens to protect their weapons. Innocent civilians in Gaza are used as human shields. The bloodshed, the destruction, and the devastation in Gaza fall squarely on the hands of Hamas. Blame Hamas for the killings of these citizens. Blame Hamas for the raging war with Israel. Blame Hamas for placing missiles in and around homes, schools, mosques, and hospitals. They are strategically placing these missiles where they know their citizens will get killed because they want world opinion on their side. Repeat, they want their citizens killed. Hard to believe, but true. Today's show is called Israel, the Truth and Nothing But, and I kid you folks, kid you not folks, this is true. Hamas knows they cannot beat Israel's military, so they resort to lies, distortion, and propaganda to beat them in the press. They always win over the media because the citizen casualties are focused on heartbreaking pictures while conveniently failing to mention that they tell their citizens to stay put despite repeated warnings from Israel to get out. That area will be targeted next. Hamas will use any means to make Israel look bad, and that includes ensuring its own citizens get killed to protect their missiles, missiles to be fired into Israel to kill their citizens. Israel does not target citizens. They really try to avoid getting citizens killed by sending warnings via text, emails, phone calls, and pamphlets. Israel is dealing with a vast tunnel uh, of, of people penetrating right into Israel. They have vast tunnels all over Gaza. And 
people are sneaking in through those tunnels and aiming, again, at the civilian population. Hamas is a terrorist organization and is one of the worst in the world. Israel is a democracy. Israel is our ally, our friend. Hamas is the enemy. Time to destroy the enemy. And by the way, I believe that Hamas stands for Hamas, H for hate, and A-M-A-S, all members anti-Semitic. So today, folks, we are going to present you with the truth, nothing but, by our friend Joel Freeman. Go ahead, Joel Freeman, and thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Joyce. It is such a pleasure to be with you. And, uh, you know, I've, I've traveled to Israel and to the region a number of times over the years, and I've I've always been um, kind of puzzled in terms of why does Hamas want war, uh, and and the reason why is because I just think that uh, now I was reading an article by a, a gentleman who is the head of the uh, the Muslim Congress Canadian Congress in Canada, and uh, he was just basically saying he says uh, you know whatever side of the Arab Israeli conflict one stands. Uh, you, you can't deny the courage and the perseverance of the Palestinian people, uh, because uh, you know you just just look at what what has gone on over the years. But I he, he said this. He said Gaza could have become a showcase of Arab enlightenment and enterprise after Israel withdrew from the territory in twenty in two thousand five, and it could have become a t- tourism haven and a crucible for learning and arts, science and technology. Instead, Gaza, as he says, has become a one-party Islamic dictatorship under Hamas, dedicated to the destruction of the Jewish state. And uh, he talked about the thousands of precious lives has be, have been lost in this display of hatred disguised as piety. Uh, I thought those pretty strong words from a Muslim. And uh, he said it's just not uh, Israeli Jews that have been targeted for death, but Palestinians opposed to Hamas have been massacred to consolidate its power. Because, for instance, in uh, 2007, November, a Hamas gunman fired on a rally organized by the Palestinian uh, president, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, Fatah's party, inside a, a Gaza stadium at an event held to commemorate the late uh, Yasser Arafat. Many were killed, and to the horror of the world, uh, the Hamas gunmen butchered Fatah fighters, throwing wounded men from the roof of a 15-story building to their deaths. And here we see in in the current clash between Israel and Hamas, there's, uh, you know, the ceasefires really uh, are just times for them to reload and figure things out. And... um, we know that uh, Americans and United Nations will pour in millions of do- dollars to rebuild the bombed-out infrastructure. But, uh, you know, it's really, you know, who will tell the Palestinians to get off the path of self-destruction? That's what this uh, writer had said. And, uh, and and he also said, who will convince the Palestinian Islamists to try just to, to, to stop dreaming of destroying Israel and start to build the future of their own people? And uh, he went on to say, he says, Palestinians must reflect on why 
after struggling for a, a hundred years, their dream of statehood remains unfulfilled. And they need to ask themselves, you know, why tiny countries under the occupation of larger foes have become independent nations while Palestinian statehood remains out of reach. And I, I just think it's, um, when, when we stop to think of this, you know, I just, as he was saying, he says, you know, when Palestinians stop ch chanting for the death of Jews in Israel and start working to secure their own state, uh, they will achieve it. And, and he said that uh, Palestinians have dem demonstrated courage and perseverance. What they need now is wisdom. And, and as one looks back uh, on, on the different uh, cycles of conflict and violence that have occurred, uh, there's a book by uh, Joffrey Blaney, and it's called The Causes of War. And he said in this book, he said, politicians start wars optimistic about their prospects of, of uh, winning. And, uh, and he said, basically, that uh, people do not go, go into war uh, uh, just to think that they're going to lose. Uh, otherwise, they'd avoid, avoid, avoid fighting. But they, it's what they can gain from the com, combat. So if this is true, you know, it just really, you should kind of scratch your head and you think, you know, why did Hamas just provoke a war with Israel? Because literally out of nowhere on June 11th, and this, this was 24 hours before the three Israeli boys were kidnapped, the young teenagers, on, on June 11th, but on, on June 12th. But on, uh, on June 11th, uh, Hamas began launching rockets, and, and they, they shattered this uh, a place of, of calm, and uh, you know it had been in place since November 2012. And uh, the mystery of this outburst, it prompted David Horowitz, who's the editor of the Times of Israel, to find that the, the current fighting had no remotely credible reason even to be taking place. And so one looks at it and you say, okay, now why did Israel, the Israeli leadership respond minimally and try to avoid combat? Because this, you know, both sides know that Israeli force, uh, that it vastly outmatches Hamas on every domain in any other Arab country. And uh, so you have the intelligence gathering, the command and control, the technology, the firepower, the domination of airspace. Israel has it all. So when you think about this role reversal, uh, yes, the question, you know, are Islamists so fanatical that they don't mind losing? Or are, are Zionists too worried about the loss of life to fight? Well, actually, I, I think that, uh, as you alluded to in your opening, that Hamas leaders are quite rational. Because you can look at uh, back in 2006, uh, 2008, 2012, uh, they decide... It's a conscious, cold decision. They decide to make war in Israel knowing full well that they will lose in the military battlefield. But they're very optimistic about winning in the political arena. And so Israeli leaders, conversely, they assume that they will win militarily, but they, they, they fear political debate and defeat and bad press, uh, the UN resolutions, and, and on and on it goes. And and so uh, you know I just think it's it's quite interesting that the UN Security Council seems to enjoy nothing so much as condemning Israel. 
And so the focus on, on politics, I think, represents a historic shift because the first 25 years of Israel's existence saw repeated challenges to his, its existence, especially in the 1948-49 uh, war, the, the, the struggle for statehood there at that time, 1967, a six-day war, 1973, and, and no one knew exactly how those wars would turn out. Uh, I remember on the, on the first day of the 1967 Six-Day War when the Egyptians proclaimed that they had these splendid triumphs while the complete Israeli press was silence. It's just they, they suggested catastrophe by their silence. But the outside world was unaware of Israeli forces having destroyed Egypt's air force on the ground in 67. And in fact, it was so precise that uh, the Egyptian air force had dummy planes set up, and uh, the Israeli intelligence was so so pinpoint that they actually did not bomb the dummy planes. They only dom bombed the real planes and took them out of commission. And so, uh, you know, it, it just it came as a shock to learn that Israel had scored one of the greatest victories in the annals of warfare. And the point is, the outcomes were unpredictably decided on the battlefield. But it's no longer. Because the battlefield outcomes of Arab-Israeli wars in the last 40 years have been predictable. Every know, everyone knows, as I mentioned, and you mentioned, that Israeli forces will prevail. It's more like a, a kind of a cops and robbers than, than warfare. And ironically, this, this lopsidedness turns attention from uh, from winning and losing to morality and politics. And Israeli uh, enemies, they, they provoke it to kill citizens whose, whose death then brings them multiple benefits. And we can see that the, the four conflicts since 2006 have restored Hamas's tarnished reputation for resistance, but it's built solidarity on the home front. It's stirred dissent among both Arabs and Jews in Israel. Uh, it has galvanized the Palestinian and other Muslims to become suicide bombers. It has embarrassed non-Islamic uh, Islamist uh, Arab leaders. It secured new UN resolutions and sanctions bashing Israel. Uh, it has inspired Europeans to impose harsher sanctions uh, on Israel and opened the international uh, left spigot, spigot of, of vitriol against the Jewish state. It's also one additional aid from Islamic Republic of Iran. And so the, the, the holy grail of political warfare is to win the sympathy of the global left by presenting oneself as an underdog and as a victim. And, and from a historic point of view, it bears pointing out that this is very strange because traditionally combatants try to scare the enemy by presenting themselves as fearsome and unstoppable. So th this tactic of this new warfare, it includes uh, presenting a convincingly emotional narrative and, and, and citing endorsement of uh, famous personalities. Uh, you have movie stars and uh, all kinds of, of people just appealing to the conscience and, and drawing simple but powerful political cartoons. And... Um, so it just becomes something that you have what they, they call photography, uh, where they, they have still pictures, some that have been from, let's say, the in Syrian conflict, 
and then using them as images from the Israeli-Gaza conflict. And so uh, it's really sad, you know. Uh, uh, it, it's so sad, you know, how, how this is happening. It's, it's, it's not well in, in what terms of how Hamas is faring. Uh, its battlefield losses since since July 8th, you know, now appear higher than expected. Uh, there's worldwide condemnation of Israel uh, that has yet to pour in, but it's it's coming in by trickles. But it's it's happening, and even the the Arabic media they're they're relatively quiet at this time. And but I think if this pattern holds, you know, hopefully Hamas might conclude that raining rockets on Israeli homes is not such a good idea and indeed to to dissuade it from initiating another assault uh, in a few years it it needs to lose both militarily and also politically uh, both those two wars and uh, and and lose them very badly but i don't see that that is is going to happen anytime soon because of the tremendous amount of p- political uh goodwill on the side of Hamas and the political uh, negativity toward Israel. Well, everything you're saying, Joe, is so right on. We really need you on all the television stations across the world to hear the truth and nothing but. And on the heels of all this negative press about Israel, because they're seeing the pictures that are distorted, uh, that don't bother to mention that that's where the rockets are, uh, that's where the tunnels are that'll take you right into Israel to kill innocent people. Now there is a wave of anti-Semitism surging up uh, in Europe. I heard in Italy uh, was one country, Germany another. I I think there were three uh, that there's been a lot of uh, things going on. It might be Denmark. I'm not quite sure. But the point is, it's just spurring on people uh, who will use any excuse to uh, really target Jews. And it's very scary. It's very frightening. So it's how one thing has a snowball effect on another. And what's coming out on the Palestinian camp, it's lies, it's propaganda. Um, Israel never, ever targets civilians. Israel is sending out leaflets to get out of the area. They're making phone calls. They're sending texts, get out, get out, get out. Hamas is telling them to stay put. Why are they doing that? They want their citizens killed so they could use it in the propaganda war, which they always win because everything is so distorted. So you're absolutely correct, Joel. Well, you know, I've been thinking um, about this uh, in terms of uh, the the whole uh, Israeli-Gaza situation. And uh, one one, uh, writer uh, talks about, he, he likens it to mowing the grass. And uh, he, and, and and I want to hasten to add, you know, I know that the uh, Israeli army has done things uh, that I shake my head at. I, I know there's both, there's two sides to the story. I'm not blind uh, about these things, but I I just think it's important for people to step away from the propaganda that comes out, and and, and just says what is the truth here, and. Uh, I think that uh, Hamas, <clears throat> they uh, what happened when they started raining rockets in uh, on on uh, June 11th. Uh, they they left Israeli government no choice but to order that Israeli defense force, the IDF, 
uh, had to start a land incursion. And uh, Hamas refused to accept the Israeli government's offer of calm for calm. Uh, they rejected the Egyptian ceasefire proposal and violated the, the humanitarian ceasefire initiated by the UN. And it continued to, to fire rockets. I mean, I don't know what the count is, over 2,000 probably, toward, toward towns and, and, and cities of Israel, hoping, hoping to kill as many civilians as possible. And then, of course, the terror tunnels that you mentioned. And I think that... Um, Israel's goal continues to be the establishment of a reality in which the Israeli residents can, can live in safety without this constant indiscriminate terror while, while striking a significant blow to their terror structure, to the Hamas's terror structure. So the Israeli government, I think, wisely has defined this limited political and, and, and their, their, uh, their military goals for this offensive in accordance to, to what we could call uh, mowing the grass strategy. And I think that the strategy in the 21st century against this uh, hostile non-state type group such as Hamas or Hezbollah, it reflects the assumption that, it, that Israel finds itself in a protracted, intractable conflict. And, and the use of force in such a conflict is not intended to attain impossible political goals, but rather it's kind of a, uh, I guess you could call it a long-term strategy of attrition that's designed primarily to debilitate the enemy's capacity. And only after showing much restraint in its military responses does Israel act forcefully to destroy the capabilities of its foes as much as possible, and hoping that occasionally that they can have these large-scale operations that will only have a temporary determent effect in order to create the periods of quiet. For you know, I've watched these cycles. Uh, it's like a year, year and a half of of uh, you know, kind of rele uh, relevant quiet and calm on, along the Israeli borders. But then, you know, now they have the, the ground phase of Operation Protective Edge. And as that progresses, uh, Israel has to be realistic about what can be achieved. You know, destroying the tunnels is very important. By the way, the, the, Egypt has found, I think, some 17 or 18 tunnels on the Egyptian side. And, uh, and, and these are unusually well-constructed tunnels. And so I think that, um, you know, we have, have the whole idea in our Western mindset of uh you know let's let's just have a political solution but that's totally unrealistic because you have Hamas you have the Islamic jihad uh these groups they see Israel as a theological aberration and despite reluctant acceptance of temporary ceasefires they reject any diplomatic course of action intended to solve the whole conflict so the the fanatic commitment to these uh, of these uh, militias to a radical ideology and to a, a long-term strategy of, of violent resistance, uh, it turns a situation into an intractable conflict. And so I, I just think that uh, what we're going to see, you know, our Western mindset is, can't we resolve it? Can't we all be big, you know, big boys and girls and deal with this thing? But I think um, uh, in the long haul, uh, you know, that uh, th 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 there is no way, I don't think, 
you know, uh, how, we can ask, you know, how is this going to end? And we can use the cliche of cycles of violence. And uh, But I think that we're going to continue to have these situations where there's going to be incursions from uh, from these different non-state forces. And uh, so against a, a well-entrenched, implacable non-state enemy like Hamas, you know, Israel simply needs to mow the grass once in a while in order to, to degrade the enemy capabilities. And I think it's just that war of attrition against Hamas that's probably Israel's fate for a long term. You know, keeping the enemy off balance, reducing its capabilities, and it, or what that requires is, is the Israeli military readiness and a willingness to use force intermittently and while maintaining a healthy and resilient Israeli home front despite the protracted conflict. Joel, uh, I have a couple of questions for you. One, what is your take on Kerry? Um, he kind of sends out mixed messages. Oftentimes he says one thing uh, when he's on national TV, and then uh, oftentimes, like he had his mic open, and he was overheard saying something else. What is your take on Kerry and Obama? Well, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm a politically i'm i am a registered independent uh i am i am very angry at both political party machines uh both the uh, uh republican and democratic party machines um i just see us running headlong into uh 17 plus trillion dollar indebtedness uh, people are just whistling and nothing seems to be happening on either side and i think it's going to take a, a tremendous political upheaval to uh, just say, hey, we're, we're going to do. We need to do things differently if we're going to have diff expect different results. Having said that, uh, I don't see in this administration any semblance of a pro-Israeli approach, and, and that to me is very sad because uh, when you look at the whole region, uh, Israel is the only friend, uh, real ally that we have in the whole region, and to uh, <laughs> to, to deny that or to scuttle that or to uh, be unfriendly toward that alliance, uh, I think is, is a very uh, wrong-headed approach. And as in any diplomacy, uh, there's, there's the face that you put out, you know, the friendly face, and then the, what you hear on, on a hot mic when in an unguarded moment is perhaps what really is being thought and said behind the scenes and the real attitude and I, I tend to um, think that whatever is said on a hot mic uh, in an unguarded moment is what really it are, is, is happening in terms of the administration's stance toward Israel. And that saddens me. Yes, and I agree with you. Uh, but people will argue that Israel got the domes, the iron domes from the U.S. and their funds. That would be the major argument. But I'm picking up, you know, I, what I read between the lines that Obama and Kerry are not particularly friendly towards Israel. But how do you answer the part about the uh, the contribution of the domes when that's the number one savior of Israel, besides God in heaven doing his part as well? Well, I think that you have, um, uh, you know, different uh, – I mean, there's been a long history of, of friendliness and uh, billions of dollars moving from American – uh, taxpayers to Israel uh, for uh, 
you know, you have, you have these alliances, and uh, that's a very important alliance tr traditionally, historically. And so, you know, for the past six years, there has been a movement away from that alliance. But uh, it's, it's kind of like moving a uh, or turning around a, um, a huge ocean-going liner, oil liner, and it takes about 30 miles for that ocean-going liner to turn around and, and come back to port. And so because you have this, um, these years and decades of friendliness toward Israel, uh, politically it would be not wise for the Democratic Party machine to uh, unfund Israel immediately. But I think that there's, you know, given you know, the last six years, I think we can see uh, the hints and the clues and the cues that that would be something that would we loved uh, love to be happen, you know, perhaps. And so, I think it's just something that um, the the benefit of the Iron Dome technology has been happening. You know, that's billions of dollars have been moving that direction. A tremendous amount of intel uh, and 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 technology has come from America to help create the Iron Dome. And um, I mean, I I don't know of any other country in the world that would allow more than one rocket to be shot uh, without uh, responding with impunity. Impunity, And so uh, it just seems so ridiculous to me that anyone would think that uh, Israel wouldn't respond in some way and thank, thank God there is some kind of an Iron Dome set up. I know I was in Israel a couple of years ago. My wife and I were there with a group, and we were in, in uh, Jerusalem. We woke up on a, on a uh, next morning, after sleeping a fitful, wonderful sleep, and our guide uh, asked us, he said, do you know what happened last night? And we all, you know, groggily said, no, uh, we, we uh, didn't, don't know what's happened. And he said, well, 140 rockets were fired last night by Hamas. And thankfully to the Iron Dome, uh, we are uh, safe. We're all safe. And, and we weren't even aware of it. And that's really the dichotomy of people living in Israel is that uh, you have people on the beaches in, in Haifa, let's say, in Haifa or Tel Aviv, while uh, rockets are being shot and, and uh, the settlements uh, that are near the Gaza region are under this terror watch. And, and I remember hearing, I think it was on NPR just the other day, a gentleman who lives in a kibbutz uh, right near Gaza. Every night, he said, I, I go walking you know, in a particular area. And yet, uh, I think the night before, there were some uh, Hamas warriors that came out of a, a tunnel, literally in the area where he took a walk every night. He says, I, I was probably walking over these tunnels, not even realizing it. But he said, and they were shot down by Israeli forces, uh, literally 600 feet away from the kibbutz. And they were armed to the teeth, ready to take, to kill, take out anybody that they saw moving, and to bomb, destroy... And that's the people living right near in the south, in, in near the Gaza territory, Israelis living there. They're living on a, under a constant threat. But you have the dichotomy of that of people on the beach up in the northern region uh, or, or uh, sailing around on the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, you know, it's it just that's the dichotomy. And people, Israelis live that every single day. And, and you can, when you consider a rocket coming over and you have probably at most, 
a uh, 20 to 30 second response time to get into a bunker. Uh, that's that's pretty incredible for people to live in under that uh, type of uh, situation, and yet they would rather live in Israel than come visit D.C. or Baltimore or some other city where they hear about murder, the murder rate and the mugging rate, the crime rate. You know, they feel more safe and secure in Israel than they would in an American city, let's say. Yeah, that is really amazing. But as he was speaking, it occurred to me that people might be giving credit to this administration about the Iron Domes, but now I'm realizing that was already there from prior administrations. It's not like Obama just got up the money and immediately had this happen. It's already in place. I was just thinking that, you know, when people might say, well, this administration is pro-Israel, I think it's very subtle that they're not. It's very, very subtle that they're not. Um, I heard an interview with Hillary Clinton this past weekend when she talked about how much she favors Israel. And the only thing that she fights with when she was Secretary of State that she fought with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu about was the building of settlements. So she said uh, this, uh, there are settlements that clearly are on the side of Israel territory. She said, and that's fine, but there are other settlements that are not and that should go under Palestinian rule or be taken mm-hmm. down. And when I heard that, I said, uh-oh, here I was so pro a woman president, here I was so pro Hillary, and now I really have something to think about and can't wait to see who is running against her. Uh, Those settlements to go under Palestinian rule or be totally taken down, that's what she thought. Uh, Where are the people that read the Bible and know that it is the promised land, that that land was given to Israel? Uh, So I wanted to make that point because I I don't believe that John Kerry is a friend of Israel or Obama, but it's very subtle. And uh, who was that other gentleman that got in recently picked by Obama? He's known as someone who favors, uh, that doesn't favor Israel. I can't think of his name right now. He's in a high position. Do you know who it is, Joel? He's in a very high position. Are you talking about Hegel? Hagel, Hagel, that would be it. Yeah. Chuck Hagel, is that it? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, that I can't was remember all his over name. the internet uh, where he spoke before uh, groups opposing Israel, and he was handpicked by Obama, and that that had the handwriting on the wall right there, right then. So um, it's very scary that this administration—they are subtle. But clearly, they don't favor Israel, and I, I, I do see that when it started with the appointment of Hegel, actually. So, anything else you want to say about all this, Joe? You articulated so well; I could use you every single day till the war is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think it's, um, you know, we have a, a Western mindset of a solution-oriented mindset, and uh, you know, why can't they fix it? You know, let let it just seems sounds so rational, reasonable. Can't you see it? And I, I just think this is. Uh, I think we need to recalibrate our expectations uh, regarding the M- Middle East situation between uh, Gaza, Hamas, and I- Israel. And it's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, I think it's about 35 percent of the Palestinian uh, population in Gaza, a very young population, by the way, supports. Hamas, and so uh, when you have that those kind of numbers, uh, and who knows uh, how that poll was done or how that number was arrived, 
how they arrived at that number, but um, that's still a significant part of the population, and um, and I'm, I'm sure it's uh, people have to have to lend their support of a terror group like Hamas, a non-state terror group, or they'll they'll be killed themselves. So it's a um, very, very, very tenuous situation that uh, I do not see uh, happening, anything good happening anytime soon. Because the, the whole purpose of Hamas is to destroy Israel. That's yes, you know that's the way it is. It's in yeah. their charter, not to recognize Israel's right to exist. Uh, when Arafat was in power, I remember at Camp David, they were so close to coming up with some sort of peace agreement and a two-state solution when Clinton mm-hmm. was officiating at that. And then all they did, they were so close. Uh, right after that fell apart, it just went further and further away from that. Yes, yeah. Very sad. Do you remember it is very, those it's days? just sad. I do. I do remember those. Joe, um, some might think you're Jewish because Freeman does sound like a Jewish name. Given you're not Jewish, why is Israel important to you? Uh, Why is it that you appreciate Israel? Why is it that you try to get there every year and take a a tour group with you? What is the reason uh, for you? What drives you? Well, personally, I, I am a follower of Yeshua. I, I am one who uh, I, I've uh, studied and read the Bible. Um, I, I left home when I was 17, hitchhiked all around North America, long-haired hippie, dope-smoking fool. I had a conversion <laughs> experience in uh, 1972. And and what happened is um, as, the more I studied the Bible, the more I realized that uh, the land and the people are important. Uh, whether or not uh, one agrees or disagrees with with God's decision. And uh, I know that the people blew it uh, time and time again. It's like this cycle, corkscrew cycle through the book of Judges. It's not a pretty sight. And uh, and and it just, uh, the disobedience and everything else. But still, uh, there was a, a point where he said, I've not given my bill of divorcement. Uh, I, I still love unconditionally love the land the people and the land the promises that were given and with abraham uh the promises were given uh in two different levels uh, number 1 it was uh, to abraham to see the stars in the sky how what what is the number of them and he said they're, they're numberless what about the dust of the earth or the sand bits of sand on the seashore uh that again is numberless and so i think the dust speaks of the people of Israel uh, after the flesh, if you will, uh, with the DNA. Uh, And then we have the stars speak of of the people of Israel after uh, promise. There's there's a promise in the New Testament. And so uh, uh, I don't see, uh, what I see there is that there's, nothing has changed in God's mind toward the land and toward the people. And so it's, uh, I think it's, uh, wrong-headed to, from a theological standpoint to look at what some call replacement theology. I know the Presbyterian Church has taken stances against Israel. Uh, it's because they believe that the church has replaced Israel, and all the promises to the church or the, to Israel have been now um, uh, come over to the church. 
See, I, I don't I don't agree with that. I, I think that the promises are specific, and uh, I, I I do agree that a new covenant has been made that is included. But just like uh, the whole principle of grafting, uh, you have to have the host tree in order in order to graft a branch into that tree. And so um, uh, I just think that anyone who tries to say that the graft is is the host tree now uh, is wrong. It's a wrong-headed view. And so I just think it's a it's a wonderful plan. It's a wonderful picture of God's nature, His kindness and his uh, desire to uh, uh, to express a covenant. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are eight covenants, and uh, four of them are unconditional, and four of them are conditional. In other words, it's preceded with the word if. If you do such and such, then I will do such and such. But four of the unconditional covenants are basically saying, this is what I'm going to do, and I don't care how you act or react, how you disobey, how, what, doesn't matter. I am keeping my word about this. And uh, with Abraham, that was an unconditional covenant. Abraham was not even a Jew. Uh, God made a nation out of him that he called the Jews, uh, the light to the Gentiles. And, uh, of course, as I said, as I inferred before, and it was blown. The opportunities were blown many times. I look even at the land of Israel. And uh, one of the things that I've been so intrigued is I've uh, visited the land many times and studied about the topography and the geography is that uh, you have the one of the most important uh, trade routes coming through Israel, the Via Maris. In fact, uh, whoever controlled Megiddo would control the trade route, which st started in the Fertile Crescent, came all the way down and around to, to Egypt through Megiddo. And this, this, this trade route, this ma you have the Silk Road in Asia. Now, this is a major trade route in this whole region. And so I just think of, of plopping Israel in this area where they didn't necessarily have to go out to the nations and proselytize. They could just be where they were, and the nations would come to them and uh, through this trade route. And so it's pretty fascinating to me that uh, even the location of the land. And um, I, I just, I, I love the land. Uh, I love visiting Israel. I love the people. And, uh, and because I believe that this is God's heart and his desire, his expression that has not changed since and the days of Abraham. We'll come back to you in a moment. We want to hear all about your most recent tour and about the land and the people and, and all of that as well. Uh, folks, I really want to thank you for listening today. Israel, the truth and nothing but with our esteemed guest, Joel Freeman. I urge you to go into our archives and listen to our show yesterday on Extraordinary Jews and contributions of the Jewish people. You'll hear about people uh, of Jewish descent that won the Nobel Prize, that had major contributions to fight illness, major contributions in, in so many other areas, contributions that came out of Israel. Uh, that was our show yesterday, so I urge you to listen to that. On Friday, we have a wonderful show with Rabbi Potasnik about praying for the peace of Israel and praying for world peace. So along with this extraordinary show today with our fantastic 
guest, Joel Freeman. We really give you reason to listen to us every day, and here's more reasons why in the words of Beverly Nadler. Listen to me. I have something to say about a wonderful way to start your day, a way to stimulate your mind and increase your energy, make you feel so good. And guess what? It's free. Weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern, hear the Joyce, Barry, and Friends show. You'll find it on the Internet, on Blog Talk Radio. This show is upbeat and fun and very inspirational. It's informative, educational, and very motivational. There's the Coach's Corner, great quotes and news. There are suggestions, perspectives, and advice you can use to enhance your life and improve your health, plus clever, simple ways to increase your wealth. Joyce's perceptions and personality will keep you captivated, and her guests from many walks of life will always keep you fascinated. When Joyce and her friends speak, it's like you're in the conversation. This is part of what makes her show so unique, really a sensation. For Joyce's friends are not only the guests you're listening to, they're everyone who is tuning in. Yes, I do mean you. So refer your friends and family. They'll be so pleased to know. And let's make Joyce, Barry, and Friends the number one Internet radio show. And, folks, please join along with us in having that happen, making Joyce Barry and Friends the number one Internet radio show worldwide. Uh, simply go to Joyce Barry, B-A-R-I-E, and friends.com. And on the upper left, right under my picture, it says follow. Click on that, and you will get an email from Blog Talk Radio each day about our show, about our guests, about our topics, so you know exactly what we're up to. And for those of you uh, that can't listen in at 9 o'clock Eastern, uh, we're happy to say that every single show is in our archives, every one. And the moment we go off the air, this one will be there as well, and we don't take our shows out of archives. So once again, please listen to the show yesterday, Extraordinary Jews, Extraordinary Jewish Contributions. No doubt you'll be really surprised at some superstars that are Jewish that you wouldn't think that, like a Tony Curtis, for example, uh, stars that change their names to get theatrical names, but more importantly than the stars and the comedians and all of that, uh, with their contributions, was literally contributions that save lives, that impact technology. Uh, so before we move forward with Joel Freeman, let me share with you uh, who he is. He's the president of the Freeman Institute. He has extraordinary books like Dealing with People Who Drive You Crazy, <laughs> We're certainly uh, having a taste of that with dealing with Hamas, so <laughs> that book <laughs> might be a good starting place uh, for the people in our lives that drive us crazy. His books are really extraordinary. Uh, he has some really interesting websites like black101.com. It's his black history collection. Uh, so that's, like, really amazing. Uh, you could go to his main website, which is Freeman, F-R-E-E-M-A-N, Institute, 
com. Latest book is Work Hard, Work Smart, and that has its own website, workhardworksmart.com. Uh, so you really want to look into this extraordinary guest today. My only uh, issue with Joel Freeman is I can't have him more, 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 more often on our show. Uh, he has uh, also, uh, If Nobody Loves You, Create the Demand. I have that book, and it's awesome. Everything, uh, every word out of Joel's mouth, whether in writing or whether articulated is is really amazing. Uh, so I'm I'm so grateful to have you as a guest, Joel Freeman. Why don't you talk about the tour that you took people on in Israel? And I know you strive to do that each and every year. What was that like? And was there in fact a time when there were rockets going off uh, right within distance of hearing it or seeing it? Yes, uh, I do try to take a group every year. Um, if someone goes to IsraelCrazy.com, uh, they'll uh, see that the next tour, we uh, pushed it back from March 2015 to October, November 2015, and the reason being because of, of some of the things that are happening right now and uh, people thinking about going. Probably March time frame, things are going to be peaceful, relatively calm and and uh, just wonderful for any tourist group to go and visit for 10 days. And that's ironic because now uh, people, when people are making the choices to go and committing down payments and things like that to, to go on these trips, it's a difficult decision because you have so many friends and relatives saying, you're crazy, you're nuts, you're cuckoo. If you're going to Israel, you're not going, we're not going to let you go. And so uh, it, it's kind of an odd situation. So I, I deliberately pushed it back to October, November of 2015, uh, hoping that um, come around next January, things will be peaceful enough that uh, people will be able to make a informed decision uh, to go to Israel later that year. But uh, Jill, before you go on, excuse me one second. Just before you go on and talk about your extraordinary experiences, I have to put you on with uh, Janice Miller. Uh, in the studio lines, because literally her two sons are supposed to be leaving for Israel, both her sons, I believe within two weeks. Is that correct, uh, Janice? Yes, it is. My uh, Both sons are uh, supposed to go on a plane to Israel by the rite of passage. Both um, sons, my only two sons, on the same plane going to Israel. Not a good picture for my, my mind and sleepless nights ahead so what are your what are your thoughts well what uh what region of israel are they, are they going to be going to well they, of course they've been told by the um you know israelis that they will be brought to the safer side i guess the northern side from what you said was the safer region and they are keeping track with everybody um online other people that are currently there said everything's fine so that's the peace of mind I get and I feel you know I've talked to some people from Joyce's show that have psychic abilities that said they will no matter what they feel that the trip will be postponed and then that they will have an adventure of their lifetime so I'm thinking well maybe your your uh, tour would be even better <laughs> <laughs> well it's, I think it's wonderful they're going uh, to to Israel. Uh, personally, I would not take a group right now. 
uh, is because I <clears throat> err on the side of great caution. You know, I've, I've personally traveled to well over 50-plus uh, countries all around the world, and I've been into, in some pretty um, unsettled situations. I'll just leave it at that. And I, I just, um, you know, personally, I, I don't mind walking into tough situations, but when I take a group, I am ultra-careful, conservative, <laughs> cautious, and I, I do have boots on the ground. I have a, a dear friend who was the former Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. And these are the people I, I keep in touch with before I go. And, of course, the State Department and uh, other individuals I have in Israel. But um, if they're getting the go-ahead sign and uh, you have friends, boots on the ground there that are saying it's okay and they're being uh, careful about uh, where they go, um, I would I would just say you know I I believe they'll be safe and things will be uh, as long as they're not hitchhiking on the West Bank or uh, you know doing things that uh, are are crazy uh, okay. I, I, and stick with the group I think they should be okay. Okay, well thank you for thank you for that. <laughs> I still you know think you we could pick a better time. It's just that myself yes. being part Jewish, they are have this uh, website called Right to Passage. And mm-hmm. so my older son is 26, and this is his last year to go on this trip. Yes. And so he's kind of like, well, I don't want to give up the trip. I said, you know, Gianni, you could pay for this trip instead of going on the trip where you may not come back. So I didn't want to put the guilt trip as a Jewish mother, but you know, <laughs> that is that is the way I think. That goes with the territory, though. Yeah. <laughs> Being a Jewish mother. Uh, okay, Janice, thank you so much. I want to take the rest of the time uh, to hear about his tour and 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 Joel, how you perceived Israel and what it's like to be there and the people and all of that. Thank you, Janice. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Joel. Ah, uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Joyce, it, it's uh, to me going to Israel is uh, it's it, every time I before going because it's so much work putting a trip together. I say I'm never doing this again. It's too much work. But once I get to Israel and I see the lights go on in people's eyes and I see them uh, just I mean people are are have tears in their eyes. It's just amazing the kind of responses I get from people when they they actually see a site that is uh, that they've read about in the bible or heard about and um you know and we uh, i i try to keep uh, tri- uh, groups uh, small because relatively speaking to fit on one bus because i don't i view the larger groups that go uh, you know a two or three bus loads as kind of like cattle calls it's just hard to connect with everybody and um uh, I, I really like the ambiance, the attitude, the uh, the sense of humor, the connecting, the bonding, the the lifelong friendships that emerge from the trips, and so we we uh, we do different things early on in the trip to help build the relationships and trust and intimacy with with the group, and uh, so anyway, uh, and plus it, it, with a smaller group, it makes you that much more nimble. Because uh, I, I try to factor in at least two, sometimes three surprises for people uh, that are that are kind of off the itinerary, that uh, uh, just kind of blow people's minds. 
Uh, like last year, we went to a uh, an army camp. Uh, the 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 guide he went to school with the commander of the the camp, the uh, the base, I should say, right, literally a hundred meters from the Lebanon border. And so we were able to talk with Israeli soldiers. We had one soldier that uh, had come from Washington State uh, who came and joined the Israel uh, army. And he said, I just feel like I, I could have joined the United States Army, and that would have been a great experience. But I just felt like I was really participating in something meaningful. Uh, I wasn't off in some other country, you know, uh, trying to do something in Afghanistan or something. I was in Israel. He says, here I am 100 meters away from the Lebanon border. I feel like I'm doing something that is important, and uh, I'm needed here. And so anyway, uh, just to talk with people like that, uh, people came away from that experience just shaking their heads saying, my goodness, the dedication of the soldiers. I know the first time I went to Israel, my oldest son and I were there, and we just rented a car. We traveled all over places that I'm sure today you could never go to uh, as a tourist. But um, we picked up hitchhikers. We picked up Bedouins. Arabs, we picked up uh, Israeli Israeli uh, 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 army, uh, you know, young men, young women, uh, uh, just just had an incredible time talking with people, and that's the kind of atmosphere. So what we do in our trips is is uh, go up to the northern region first for three or four days, then go all the way down to the south uh, to Masada, to Engedi, to Qumran. Some of my favorite places, I love the desert region, around Dead Sea and, and beyond. And then uh, the rest of the time in Jerusalem. Up in the north, we're on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we go to Capernaum. Uh, we go to, to uh, Banyas, uh, you know, right at the base of Mount Hermon. Uh, sometimes we go up past the Druze settlement to go uh, on the border of, border of Syria. Oh, it's just fascinating. Uh, I remember... Uh, two years ago, three three trips ago, we had a snowball fight up in um, on the border of Syria, and and then later that day we were in short pants down in the Dead Sea, uh, and it's just incredible uh, diversity in terms of weather and everything. So it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience, and people it makes the Bible jump alive, really. A trip to Israel makes the Bible jump alive, and it just is a life-transforming experience for anyone. I know when I went to Israel, and this is many years ago, they were not under siege at the time. There wasn't a war at the time. I chose that as my vacation, and I know just getting off the plane uh, into Israel, I just kissed the ground where I was. Mm. I, I never felt so blessed in such a sacred place. And then certainly when I went to the Wailing Wall, I, I think they, they might call it the Eastern Wall as well. Is that correct? The Western Wall. The Western the, Wall. The West, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. That's why I said the Western Wall, otherwise known as the Wailing Wall. And the wall has countless notes in every crevice of the yeah. wall. And I came with three notes. I had it already written out and done. And I put one on the left side, one in the middle, and one on the right side. I said, wow, if any way I can get a note to God, uh, this wall <laughs> is the place to do that. So I had one on each side and one in the center. Uh, but I never felt in like such a sacred place and feeling so blessed. 
And um, I had interesting experiences in Israel. And, again, there was nothing going on in terms of any kind of fighting of any kind. But the thing that struck me was going to the movies one evening, and they have a table uh, in the lobby leading into the theater, and they asked me to uh, remove what was in my purse to look through my purse, and I just smiled and said, I'm one of yours. I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm on your side. But the, And I bring that up now for a reason, because Denise was talking about timing in, in Israel, and I, I agree that it is kind of scary no one could dispute that but here in times of peace they went through my purse so the security precautions they take all the time every day is is pretty amazing and everyone yes. will tell you people in the know that their airline security is the best in the world i believe yes. there might have been yes. one incident with a plane in all of their history one time one incident in all of their history. That's how extraordinary the security is. Joe, I could talk to you all day, but I know you're a man on the move and you're always so busy. We're so blessed that you took time for us today. What would you like to say in closing? Well, I just think, um, you know, first of all, I think it's important to realize this is a, a long process, uh, intractable in many ways in terms of the Middle East situation. Uh, I think that every uh, year, uh, year and a half or so, um, we're going to have situations like we're experiencing now in, in, the, in uh, between Gaza and uh, Hamas and, and Israel, amongst uh, in that particular region. And I think that uh, I'm thankful for the Iron Dome. And uh, but I, I just think it's important to realize that. Uh, this is a very tenuous situation. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as the the Bible says. And uh, I want to encourage everyone, whether they go with our group or any other group, to go to Israel to visit at least once. Put it on your bucket list and uh, and uh, plan to do it. Um, it, it is a, a wonderful, eye-opening experience, and I just think it's important to uh, to do that at least once. And by the way, the first time a person goes, it is just like living life in the fast lane. Everything's happening so quickly. And one's head is snapping around, looking here, not wanting to miss anything. And the second time you go, it goes into slow motion. You say, okay, I've been here before. I've been here to the Western Wall. Now I want to really drill down. I really want to focus on specific things. And every year, every time you go back to Israel, it gets even slower, more specific. Uh, you learn more. It becomes. It, it's taken. In fact, it took me, I'd say, three or four trips for me to even begin to make sense of of certain historical things that uh, events that happened, and the way that the Temple Mount uh, it took me three or four times to really get it. And uh, that, I'm not saying anyone has to go three or four or five times to Israel, but I'm just saying from personal experience, the more times you go, the more it uh, it just impacts your life on, 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 with subtleties and nuances that you never thought uh, you could uh, could learn. 
I totally agree with you because I was in awe of everything. Uh, I couldn't take in enough. There was just so much. Uh, the infrastructure, the modernization of everything, how incredible the people were. They do love and appreciate Americans. So it is something that should be on your bucket list and whatever other list you have. I just want to acknowledge I see a new person in our chat room, Lion021, never saw you in the chat room before, so welcome, uh, appreciate having you there, and I was remiss in opening up the chat room today, I didn't open it at the usual time, we had some technical issues, uh, so I opened it kind of late, and there you are, so thank you for being there, and if you want to put a note in the chat room, uh, how you found out about us, but most importantly, know that you can hear the show in its entirety in our archives, Israel, the truth and nothing but. So welcome to our chat room. I always like to personally acknowledge the new people. I'm always back and forth in the chat room. To Joel, I just want to say thank you so much. We're always grateful when you do our shows about Israel, when you do our shows about black history. Uh, You are so articulate. The world needs more people like Joel Freeman, so we are indeed very, very grateful. Uh, To all of you, uh, we invite you to listen to our show yesterday on Extraordinary Jews, on Extraordinary Jewish Contributions. On Friday, Rabbi Potasnik, let us pray for Israel. Let us pray for world peace as well. So we really invite you to listen to the truth and nothing but. And whatever you can do to make a difference in your own lives, in the lives of your friends, to support Israel, to support anyone anywhere in the world that could, uh, that would really appreciate and could use your support, please do that. So let us go out and celebrate world peace. Let's pray for it. Let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate each other. Let's celebrate miracles that will surely come your way if only you believe in them and are open to receiving them. Here is our celebration song. I was listening to Blog Talk Radio when my ears heard something that I did know. From the speakers of my laptop I heard a voice. It was the white Oprah, also known as Joyce. He did the mash. The Joyce Barry mash. Joyce Barry mash. She is a coaching smash. He did the mash. You'll catch on in a flash. He did the mash. The Joyce Barry mash. I felt so inspired by her show and her poetry was just so good you know i want to listen to joyce again and again as joyce would say if not now when he did the mash the joyce barry mash joyce barry mash she is a coaching smash he did the mash you'll catch on in a flash he did the mash the Joyce Barry Mash. Wow. Joyce knows all about having fun. Wow. She's a home business wizard and she's just begun. Wow. She's wow. a coaching sensation for not just me or wow. you or her. It's for everyone. Then you can mash. Do the Joyce Barry Mash. Joyce Barry Mash. She's a home business smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash. 
do the Joyce Barry mash. Wow. <laughs> Have a fantastic day and listen to Joyce Barry and friends. <laughs> When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. Earning an executive MBA at Georgetown isn't the path of least resistance, but it does come with the greatest reward. Benefit from our strong alumni network, renowned faculty, D.C. location, and global residencies. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash EMBA.